Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Oh, you know you're ready now. You know you're ready now. Welcome to Field Soul. My name is Justin. Uh, some of the greatest moments in movies are, some of, are those motivational speeches before a game, in the middle of a game. And it's that way because... The, some of the greatest moments in life are those pregame speeches. I don't know if you grew up playing sports. Uh, maybe you've been to a conference or a motivational thing for work or for yourself, just some personal growth stuff. But you get in those moments, and those are goosebumps moments, right? And I remember I grew up playing sports, and you have different times before games or even at halftime where the coach comes in, he's, and he's got to fire you up and remind you of some things. And the most memorable one for me was senior year before the homecoming football game. And we're all in the locker room, and, and uh, we're getting ready. Pretty big game. We were having a really good season up to that point. And, and somehow we ended up with a really good team on homecoming, which isn't how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to play a, a cream puff. But it didn't work out that way. And so our coach is, is he, he was an older guy at that point, kind of later in his career, not Mr. Rah-Rah, not known for making big pregame speeches in the locker room. But on this particular day, he, we were about ready to go out to the field, and he had us all take a knee, and he pulls out this piece of paper, and he said, I got this story that this came across. I think it was in the days of, like, email chains, and everybody passed everything on. Some of you do that now, and you just pass everything on. Everything's going forward, whatever. So he got this, and it was really good. He's like, I need to read this story before we go out on the field, and he starts to read. And as the story progresses, I don't remember the exact details of the story, but it was about this high school football player and how this kid had always had a ton of potential, a lot of talent, but had never really lived up to what everyone thought he might be. Had never really lived up to the standard that others had for him, that even that he had for himself. And all of a sudden, the day came when, um, uh, for whatever reason, his dad had gotten sick. And in the week leading up to this game, his dad had passed away, and everybody's you know, kind of rallying around him. And, um, and uh, as the game went on, this player, this kid got to get into the game. 
and just started going off. Just touchdown after touchdown and yard after yard, just having this amazing game. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is the, this is the kid that we thought we were going to see all along. And, and what's going on? So the coach pulled him aside after the game and, and said, hey man, like, where'd that come from? Like, that's, that was amazing. We've never seen that out of you before. And so the story continues and the kid says, well, coach, you know that my dad passed away and, and, and what you didn't know is that he was blind since birth and he died. And even though I was sad, I knew that for the first time in my life, my dad would get to watch me play. And so I was playing for him. Now, that's a really good story. I think it's fictional. Okay, so, so don't, get, don't get too broken down by that story. But here's a bunch. As the story, as he's reading this story, he starts tearing up. And the other football coaches start tearing up. And then you got a room full of high school football players on a knee. And it starts off with, with the occasional... And you're kind of looking around like. <laughs> and then the whole team, like we're talking about 40 high school boys weeping in the locker room before their biggest game of the year. <laughs> I want you to know, even though that sounds really good. Yeah, that was kind of the vibe. There's your favorite crying, <laughs> crying memes there. That is not the vo- that's not the mood you're going for before a high school football game. And so we're walking out onto the field in this line, and we, like, we're walking past the cheerleaders, and we're all crying, and they go from really happy to like, oh my gosh, what just happened in the locker room? You know, like, did the team mascot die or something? I don't know. So it was just a crazy thing, and it was a horrible motivational speech. We lost, by the way. Um, but it was memorable because here's this high school football team just weeping in the locker room together, just like, oh, I can't believe his dad saw him play for the first time. That's amazing. Um, so anyways, good intentions, terrible execution on the part of that pregame speech. But, but most of them are really good, right? Like the Miracle on Ice one, that gets me fired up every time. You can look at different movies, different, uh, every once in a while before a sporting event, they'll let the cameras in the locker room. You'll hear uh, some of the things that the coaches say. Yesterday, Purdue played Nebraska, and they had Drew Brees back visiting Purdue. And I only bring it up because in this small little church, we've got like a half a dozen Purdue people. And so that fired them up, and they won. And now they're three and six, you guys. Like, that was such a big win for them. Uh, Three wins and nine tries. Um, Really proud of them. Really proud of those Purdue Boilermakers. Don't worry. All of our Purdue people are engineers and they don't feel anyway. So they, they can't, they're not, I'm not hurting their feelings by making fun of their football team. But most pregame speeches are intended to be high energy, motivational. They're, they're, they bring goosebumps and excitement and adrenaline. And, and in reality, over the course of a long game, that adrenaline gets you through maybe the first couple minutes. So it's not like it's a guaranteed win, but, but it's really a chance uh, to inspire and motivate and, and one last chance to leave an important message ringing in our ears before we go into the game or into the battle or take the test or go into the interview. You could look at William Wallace and Braveheart. You could look at uh, Eisenhower or, or uh, Churchill from World War II. And, and whatever it is, whether it's a movie speech or a real-life speech or whatever it is, really the, the overarching message is the same, right? It's this is the reality that we're facing. This is, uh, this is the choice that we have before us. This is the vision of what could be if we achieve our goals, if, if we're able to accomplish what we want to accomplish, even against great odds. And, and when it seems impossible, I want you to dig deep for something more, something that you didn't know was there 
to win the game, to win the battle, to advance the cause, to stand for what's right. Whatever it is, that's, that's kind of the overarching pattern in all of those speeches. And these are the things, when it comes to those moments, it's the type of things that you lean on for strength and courage in moments when strength and courage might be lacking. And it usually comes from those who are right there in the midst of it with us. Or, or maybe they're looking at it from the outside and they're for us and they want us to hear this message. But it's usually coming from someone who's earned the right to challenge and encourage us in that way. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of Romans chapter 8. So if you haven't been with us, we've been spending, this is the fifth week in Romans chapter 8, and we've been a lot of different places, and if you missed it, go back and listen. I think it's been pretty good, but basically we start off saying, hey, this, there is no condemnation for those in Christ, and that's a key phrase there. Admittedly, this series has been very much geared towards people who are already believers, already walking with Christ, and so if you've been with us or you're walking in today, this isn't so much of a series of hey, let me encourage you in the depths of where you're at. This is, hey, we're walking with Christ and these are some of the challenges. This is some of the promises. This is what we face over the course of our lives. And so he said, there's no condemnation if you're in Jesus. You are free. Sin is taken care of. Your brokenness is taken care of. But along those lines, as followers of Christ, we have the Spirit. And we're challenged to walk in step with the Spirit only by the power of the Spirit. And we have to embrace that battle that we face between the Spirit living in us and the flesh that still wants to hold on to us. And, and we do all this knowing that because of the Spirit, not only is there a battle within us, but there's a battle out here too because we live in a world who doesn't get it. They don't understand what we understand. They don't see what we see. And all the while, we know, as we talked about last week, that the Holy Spirit is for us. It's interceding on our behalf in the midst of our limitations, in the midst of our brokenness. It's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know even what to pray sometimes. And so the Holy Spirit takes care of that for us. And we come to the end of the chapter, and it's, it's really, it is the motivational speech of Romans, and, and in many ways, the motivational speech of the Bible. And it addresses the question, when you're not sure where to go next— when you're not sure that you can carry on anymore, if the circumstances seem to be against you for whatever reason, then what do we cling to? Where do we run? And these last few verses of the chapter address that. And, and I, I gotta believe Paul is writing these last few with some fire in his belly, right? This is, uh, th there's some stuff on his heart. Just like at, kind of at the beginning of this series, we talked about how Paul is seeing the brokenness in the world, but at the same time, it's personal for him. He sees his own brokenness. And so he's trying to remind us of that and not only inspire all of us out here, I think he's preaching to himself. I think he's trying to inspire himself a little bit. He's feeling it. And so I was tempted to just read this passage in my most motivational voice and, and just send you out and you can kind of go do what you want with it. Like, Lord said you got to rise up, right? But I decided not to go that direction this morning. We're not going to take that strategy. Um, so let's get to it. And then as we get to the end, the, the team's going to come again and... Um, kind of lead, lead us through a time of communion, a chance to reflect on some of this as we close out the series and, and even celebrate uh, all there is to celebrate um, uh, from our life in Christ. And so Romans chapter 8, back at it. Um, let's hit verse 31, first part of 31 to get things started. So he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? So all the things that he's just written, all the things that we've talked about over the last four weeks, what do we say now, right? What, what's our response? Where, where does this lead us in a practical way, right? Where there's the Spirit in us, it's guiding us, it's interceding for us, and yet we still struggle. All of these things that we've talked about, um, where does that take us? Because remember, he's writing to first century Rome, people who are trying to follow Christ and figure this out in a place where they've been called to be an enemy of the state by being believers. 
but he's also writing to us in 21st century Michigan, where maybe our biggest struggle is living in a world that seems like it's gone crazy. And so life is hard. We're battling with our sinful nature. You're, you're living in a broken world with broken bodies, of uh, broken relationships all around us, and yet we're forgiven. There's no condemnation. We're, we're trying to live by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. We're being patient. We're living with hope. We're pouring out our hearts to God the best we can. And so what do we do with all that? Where does that leave us, right? And remember, chapter 8 is kind of the turning point of the book of Romans, where, where Paul, is, as is his pattern through the New Testament, he gets into some really deep stuff, and he's going some really crazy places and teaching us and educating us and challenging us, and then he stops and brings it back to the main thing and reminds us of what the main thing is, and that's what he does here as we continue. So back to verse 31. What should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has, cho has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, Christ Jesus who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So up to this point in, in the book of Romans and in chapter 8, we're hit pretty hard with the truths and some of the realities of the world around us, right? The, the realities of sin and brokenness in culture and even sin's effect on all of creation as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And we're hit hard with the reality of our status as being severely lacking lacking in our understanding, lacking in our vision, lack, lacking in our ability to describe the things that we're walking through. And so even in the midst of that sin, even in the midst of the lacking that we're made aware of throughout this chapter and throughout Romans, we're, we're made aware of our, our limited control over our present and our future. And in the midst of that, here comes Jesus. Not because we wanted him to, not even because we asked him to, but simply because he had earned the right to. And these last few verses that we read reiterate that. It says, who can possibly be against us? Who, who can possibly come at us with a legitimate threat? Because it's God who sent the gift. It was Jesus who made the sacrifice. And if he was willing to offer the gift, and if he was willing to make the sacrifice, and he's already gone to the greatest lengths to rescue us, then will he not continue to rescue us under any circumstance? He's already made an, an immeasurable investment in us. So will he not continue to protect that investment? And so it's not just this one-time thing. It's not just this one-time offer. It's an ongoing thing. And God says, I made the gift. I made the sacrifice. And if I'm choosing to make that ultimate sacrifice, I'm going to continue to invest in that and protect that. But then it continues on and says that God is the authority and the judge. He's the judge because it's his standard that we've fallen short of. And so if he chooses to, to uh, rescue us, then who else can lay any charge at our feet? If the creator and the judge has chosen to forgive and justify, then who else can stand in our way? Who else can come between us and that freedom? Jesus himself stands in the gap for us. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our brokenness. He doesn't see our limitations. He looks at us and he sees Jesus and his blood. He had earned the right to forgive us and set us free. And so because he was the one who earned the right, no one else can step in and take that away or lay a charge at our feet. 
Now we get to the good part, right? We haven't even gotten to the good part yet, the, the motivational speech part. The, the, it says, your time, boys, right? Go to verse 35. So he continues the questioning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So he says, what can stop us? What can hinder us from the covering that God has placed in us? What can, what can hinder that love from freeing us and making us perfect in his sight? And the answer is nothing. And Paul runs the gamut of all the categories that we might face, all the things we might fear, all the things that we might even assign to ourselves, those who oppose our faith. Times of need, times of awkwardness, times of embarrassment, times of uncertainty or danger, failing health, terminal illness, things that we're facing in the present that we don't understand, things that we might face in the future that seem so uncertain because it's so unclear what's going to happen. The roller coaster of life as we ride the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, even the spiritual forces that we can't see, let alone begin to understand or fight against. Nothing will separate us from that love. Nothing can separate us from Jesus who stood in the gap for us. But then it ends in a way that people usually forget to include. Right? We, we might read the verse, but we forget this part of it. So verse 39 finishes like this. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord in Christ Jesus. That's the powerful theme, not of just of this chapter, but of the entire book. Even if you just read back through the verses that we've done over the last four or five weeks, you'll see in Christ, Christ in you, co-heirs with Christ. We are conquerors, but not because of ourselves. We are conquerors through Jesus. So you are a conqueror. Like, your giants can fall. If you want to read David and Goliath and be like, man, my giants are in front of me. I need to slay those giants and, and proceed. Like, your giants can fall. Your fears and your circumstances can be overcome. But here's the important part that we forget about. And, so, and, and I've told you before, I, I get addicted to these uh, Christian TV stations and watch all these preachers and listen to podcasts. And almost every time, it's really inspirational you can overcome. You can slay your giants. You've been given dominion over your, your fears and your failures. That's all fine, but you can't forget about this last part because, yeah, you can be a conqueror. You are a conqueror, but not because of you, not because of some talent or ability that you've been given, not because of some resource or training that you've been put through, not because you're living right, not because you're living that blessed life, not because of family support or friend support or even a great small group. No person or thing can conquer. Jesus conquers. And it's only in Jesus that we can overcome all of those things. And Paul says that in Jesus, not only can we, but we will overcome. And so back to the question that Paul asked at the beginning of this. How, how do we live in response to this? How do we live in response to this? Well, first, some vital information that you need to have because if you're not walking through some stuff now, you will be. But many of you are. 
you are or people close to you are and you're trying to navigate some of these things and you don't see the plan. You don't have the big picture. You're living in some of those intimate moments knowing, man, what is going on? It feels like some of this doesn't apply to me, right? I don't feel like a conqueror. I don't feel like God is working in my behalf. I feel like the whole, there's some disconnect where the Holy Spirit's message isn't getting through for me. You need to know this. In the moments when you feel least like a conqueror, be assured that's when you are most loved. In the moments when you feel least like you're winning, least like all of this is coming to fruition, least like the glory of God is falling on you, least blessed, the moments when you feel least like a conqueror, that's when you are most loved. All of those fears, all of those forces that Paul talked about, not only can those things not cut you off from the love of Jesus, but the existence of those things is not a sign that you aren't loved by Jesus. His love and his forgiveness and his blessing are not dependent on current circumstances. Jesus said it himself, in this life, as you follow me, as you walk with me, as you do your best to be obedient to me and look like me, in this life, you will have trouble. It will be hard sometimes. There will be difficulty even for those who love Jesus. And so nothing can stop us. That doesn't refer to every dream and goal you'll ever have. It doesn't mean that those forces and the struggles that we have in life, it doesn't mean that those things can't cut you off from the American dream. That's not the promise. It's also not so those fears and those forces can overcome us or keep us from Jesus. The truth is that we are conquerors in Christ even in the midst of those things, even in the midst of those times, even in the midst of those difficulties and those forces, we are conquerors in Christ. So in those moments when you feel least like a conqueror, please know that's when Jesus is right there in the midst of it with you, loving you through it. And so with that in mind, we'll go back to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 112. Psalm 112, 6 through 8, and this is how we're called to live, knowing that Christ is our conqueror. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. We're called to live with no fear. Don't fear bad news because bad news only exists with God's permission. And so if he allows it, even though it may seem terrible in the moment, if he allows it, it means he's going to use it for his glory. And what an honor to be a part of that process. Don't have to fear bad news, but you can guard your heart and you can strengthen your heart Fill your heart and mind with God's truth and his promises, stories of his provision, stories of his miracles. Even if you feel broken on the outside, even if life feels broken at the moment, you can remain steadfast in your heart. Are there times when we're sad? Yes. Are there times when we're distraught, when we're heartbroken, when we're nervous, when we're in need, when we're feeling some type of loss? Absolutely. But you can view your present and future struggles exactly as they are already defeated. But not because of anything you can do or anything you're capable of, but because of what Jesus is capable of and what he's given us. 
And so we can know that we're loved even in the midst of those moments when we feel defeated and we can live with no fear. And then the last thing, and the team's going to come and help us with this last part. A response needs to be to worship and lay things at the feet of Jesus and offer things to him, offer him our fears, offer him our frustrations and our brokenness and thank him and worship him and glorify him for being the conqueror for us. And so in a moment, as the team gets going, the, the buckets are going to come forward and it's going to be the opposite of offering. You're going to take something out, right? Our, our communion elements are going to get passed around. And um, I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff fires me up, right? You can take a movie and that fires me up. As I read through some of the stuff that Paul says, it fires me up because here's what it does. It reminds me of the mission. It reminds me of the reason for living, for fighting, for struggling. It reminds me of the main thing. Reminds me of Jesus. And so as the band leads us through this next song, I want you to take this opportunity as the, as the elements get passed out um, to just reflect a little bit. Like, where has God asked you to be in this season of life? What, what has he asked you to walk through or endure? Maybe you're in a time of celebration. You can offer some thanks to him in these moments. Take this opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us so that we can celebrate, so that we can run to him, so that we do have his authority that we can place over the things in our lives. And so take these moments and I'll be back up in a little bit to lead us through the elements. <laughs>